You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, season two, episode 11 of Not Another Leafs podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ken Stapon joined by Brendan McCarthy, BMAC. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell happened last night. I'm just, I'm still so dejected, man. I purposely asked Ken to start this record late. Doesn't matter the outcome last night. I wanted a late start and it still stings. I mean, I, I actually remember 2010 US Canada watching that on the Jumbotron at ACC after a Leaf game. And John Carlson, overtime winner, you know the rest. That stung, and it still stung up until last night. Last night's loss is worse because we didn't even generate a goal. There was nothing to celebrate. There were chances. There were quality chances, but... No, and the American goaltending Spencer with Spencer Knight in between the pipes, he was solid. I thought Canada generated some good chances, uh, not as many as they generated at against any other team in the tournaments to this point, albeit in the gold medal game, you're generally going to be playing against your best opposition that you've seen in the tournament. But I thought it was an outstanding job by the Americans, both their defensemen and like the forwards just playing as a unit in the defensive zone, keeping Canada out of the center of the ice in the high scoring areas. And for that reason, Spencer Knight was up to the task when Canada was able to generate and they get shut out to nothing in the gold medal game. I thought Canada just looked stunned. I mean, finally, they, they met their competition because, let's be honest, they just walked through the group stage. They, they just laughed their way all the way to the gold medal game. Yeah, well, and they waxed Russia. They waxed Finland. This was like, yeah, this is routine, whatever. I mean, U.S. is, is going to be the U.S., but, I mean, kudos to, to the Americans, man. I was covering the semis between Finland and U.S. and listening to the post game from Caulfield and Zegras. I mean, obviously, their confidence is skyrocketing through the roof. But they were making some pretty bold statements referring to Zegers's comments pregame saying, you know, they haven't met their toughest competition five on five yet. And man, what a, what a swagger for, for the for the Americans to just come out and just shut out the Canadians. And Spencer Knight obviously outshining Devin Levi when all the attention was on Levi, too. And both Florida Panthers prospects are going to have some some fun competitions in, in years to come, Kenny. No, I, I saw on Twitter they were saying the Florida Panthers goaltending order was restored in the gold medal game as thank God as Spencer Knight was the first round pick for the Florida Panthers in 2019, whereas Levi was the seventh round pick of this year's draft. So that's right. Kind of resets there as Levi gives up a pair. I didn't think any neither of them were really bad goals from Levi. I mean, the first one's the deflection in front of the net when Canada just got hemmed in their zone. They it was a long change. The Americans were able to get a line change. They were cycling the puck around. Yeah. yeah, it was probably more than a minute, like a little bit more than a minute that the Americans were cycling the puck around in the Canadian zone before generating that goal. Then the second goal, Puckstar takes a weird bounce, heads to you, hits your boy, Zegedis, who I believe set the record for most points at the tournament points, by man. an American player ever. Like unreal, unreal tournament for Zegris and referring to his pregame comments. I was pretty salty about that, seeing that, saying, oh, yeah, you know, they haven't played 
you know, tough competition five on five. Right. And they handled Finland and they handled Russia when the Americans obviously lost to Russia in the opening game and then had a tough time with Finland getting the goal in the last minute of the game just to squeak by them by one goal in the semifinals. I didn't like those comments at all. But if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. Zegers gets the goal to put them up by two and they never looked back. Uh, just such an impressive game by the Americans and complete dejection for this Canadian side that was being touted as one of the best, if not the best, World Juniors team ever assembled for the Canadians. And the only thing that people remember are the heartbreak losses and the gold medals. For the Canadians, now this is going to go down as a heartbreak loss rather than what should have ultimately been a gold medal by the way that they were touted coming into this tournament. You look at every other game Canada played out of the gate, Every period, they were establishing an attack, establishing a presence. First period, second period, all U.S. at the beginning. And as soon as you hit the third period, Canada's in scramble mode. This was the post from Byram and Connor McMichael breakaway, who he would love to have that one back, but couldn't corral the puck effectively. And suddenly the clock starts winding down and, and you're going to start scrambling and, and making errant passes and errant plays. And it ends 2-0. Bob McKenzie said this in the pregame as well that the first line and the second line for the americans basically matched up you know very well with the first two lines of canada but then the depth you sort of give the edge to the canadians albeit he said it in the pregame show that he didn't think that any of the players on the third or fourth line for the americans was going to have an inferiority complex based off the fact that they were taken in the third round of the nhl draft rather than the first round such as most of the players on the canadian side I thought they showed tremendous fortitude. They never let up. They wanted it more. They seemed to be winning every one-on-one -on -one puck battle. The Americans were coming out with it. And it's just, it's such a simple game when you break it down like that. If you win the majority of the one-on-one -on -one battles against the boards, likely you're going to have success. The Americans were able to do that. I thought their defensemen did a fabulous job, Jake Sanderson in particular, of pinching down into the defense or into the offensive zone rather to cut off the wings along the board and for, stop the Canadians from being able to break the puck out of the zone. It was just a complete effort. And albeit for me, the best player of the game was Spencer Knight for the Americans. But how many times have we seen this before you run into a hot goaltender in a playoff in the playoff round, or in this case, in the single game elimination tournament, and that's it. He shuts the door on you and you don't stand a chance. And then of course, at the end, just to kick you to the curb, the Americans bring out the, the barrel and slap Canada on it. And they were saying they did that throughout the tournament. I don't see U.S. bringing out a barrel and slapping the Austria flag on there and being like, yeah, we got through Austria 11-0. I think they just did that to Canada. They're basically insinuating that Canada's trash, just adding salt to the wound. But what do you think about that, Kenny? I think that was a little a little much... Well, show some respect for your opponents, first right. and foremost. Owen Byron's that, in tears on the other side. Yeah, and I think that if you look at it, you know, if it's this is a best-of-seven series, I don't think there's any doubt that the Canadians win it probably either 4-1 to one or 4-2 to two if they're playing seven games. But they weren't. They're playing one. The Americans played the better game, and they were able to run away with it. Now, I don't know what the barrel thing really signified. I saw it after. I didn't really see any of the post-game comments about it. I thought it was a little bit funny and a little bit rude. I don't understand why you need, you know, to bring a barrel out and put it in your picture with the trophy. It doesn't really make very much sense to me. It's supposed to be a celebration about your accomplishments as a team and galvanizing, especially in this circumstance, you know, through the COVID protocols and having to go into a bubble and be separated from your friends and your families and your loved ones and really just be a unit. It should be a celebration of that, 
not necessarily dancing on the grave of the team that you just beat, who is a quality side. Like, congrats to the Americans. They deserve the they deserve credit for it. And I believe now, out of the five World Junior Gold medals that the Americans have won, four have been against the Canadians. So you can't take anything that away from the Americans ever, that they seem to be Canada's daddy when they run into each other in the gold medal game in this tournament. <laughs> Absolutely, man. The last time Canada beat the U.S. in a World Junior Final was 95. And ever since then, they just plummeted against them. And right now, as you said, it, uh, the U.S. Is, has got Canada right now. It's like, it's like a puppet, basically. And I, I, I truly believe that they're going to remember that barrel. And Canada is going to come back with some fire vengeance next year. And I know there's going to be a lot of guys. Like, I don't think Byram's going to make a return. McMichael's not going to make a return. They're going to rejoin their respective NHL clubs. But I feel gonna... won't be there. There's going to be a ton. Right. A lot players. of guys are going to be moving on. So y- you can see just like the utter dejection and tears. Just it's it's awful because obviously McMichael had a gold last year with the team, but you know he was really their main guy this year and, and a, a leader with Byram and Cousins. So it's going to be tough for a lot of these guys. When they were accepting silver medals, Byron was just like, should we? Like, I don't really know. Like, do we need this? Like silver, like I, we mentioned before the tournament too, like it's gold or nothing really. Like we're not going to accept anything less. So it, it certainly, certainly stings for fans and, and more players as well. Well, I don't think it means nothing, the silver medal, because you have like for the Canadians, they have to come away with some sort of hardware. Like a couple of years back, I don't I think it really didn't means place. Well, they didn't even place for the medal round. And it's like, that's like total disaster of a tournament. If you lose in the gold yeah. medal game. Yeah. If you lose in the gold medal game, you know, it is what it is. You chalk it up and you move on to the next one. It's a one game elimination tournament. As I said before, anything can happen. They ran into a hot goaltender. I do agree that the standard is gold. And this year, the expectation was that they were going to come away with gold. So obviously extremely disappointing. For the coaching staff, disappointing for the fans, disappointing for the players, most of all. And the thing about this tournament is, is that oftentimes you only get one or two shots at it, right? I believe players can only qualify or join the tournament like two times. And most of the time, like they'll just play one and then they end up going to join their NHL team. So it's not as even as if they're going to get a second shot at it after, after they lose. And so maybe right. down the road, you know, do you have a shot at winning a gold medal at the Olympics if or some if you know, the NHLPA and the IOC end up figuring it out between the two of them, but they're never going to get a shot at winning the world junior gold ever again. Luckily we got the NHL season around the corner in a week, Jan 13th season start. Camp obviously opened up, I believe. What was it on Monday? Yes. Trying to like think back now. I feel like I have the short term memory of a squirrel or something like a little peanut brain when I try to think of this stuff. Uh, So basically like Sheldon Keefe now is taking over the team from the beginning. And a lot was made last season of when he took over the team after Babcock was there and he was sort of, you know, playing the music at practice and they were having lots of skill coaches and he was really trying to, I think, up the confidence in the group that was a little bit shaken after really just not having any success under Mike Babcock to that point in the season. Keefe this year is coming in with a different mentality. And the players, I think, are here for it. He bag-skated the team on Monday to open up practice. And on Tuesday, he bag-skated the team to finish practice. BMAC, have you ever been a part of a bag-skate? Because those are not fun. But oftentimes very necessary at the beginning of the season to get your conditioning, particularly in this condensed schedule where they're going to start playing real games that matter in just a week's time. 
Well, it's kind of nice to see that Sheldon Keith kind of possesses that bad cop mentality. Immediately, he's saying, okay, we can have fun. We can blast some music. But he's establishing order, and he, he's making sure everybody is on the same page right from the get-go. And if that means a bag skate at 10 a.m. in the morning, followed by a 75-minute intense drill practice, and so be it. I mean, this is going to be the, the most ultra-competitive Leaf team we've seen in over 15 years. And when I used to play, now, now obviously not necessarily at this level, I'm like the highest level that I competed at was like the high school level in the States. But our coach was always about this sort of stuff. You know, you'd warm up, do the skating drills, and then it was basically just compete drills. Like chip the puck into the corner, and you're going in there with one other guy, and somebody's going to come out with it. Or, you know, chip the puck into the corner, and then you have to feed it up to the point, and then you have to go battle in front of the net and try to get a deflection. Like those sorts of drills. So these are the sorts of things that Sheldon Keefe is doing with his group right now, trying to raise the level of intensity and really just up the stakes on these one-on-one -on -one battles, which is ultimately what it comes down to. And I thought Bogosian had a good quote when he was asked about this. He said, a lot of the drills are focused on compete level. And I think to be an elite team in this league, that's got to be the number one thing every single night. We talk about it all the time, will over skill. The Toronto Maple Leafs have the skill and hopefully now they can find that extra level of will with the new guys coming into the locker room and the new attitude from the coaching staff to push them to the next level because ultimately it has to come from within. And I think he shocked a lot of the media in Toronto by sliding in Thornton on a line with Matthews and Marner early on. But I like this. I mean, you look back to the start of the regular season last year and all the talk was on why Babcock healthy scratch Jason Spezza. It was a complete sewer move. And Keith kind of flipped that and said, you know what? I think that Joe on reduced shift and reduced workload can really slide in nicely with Matthews and Marner. Well, Sheldon Keith was on overdrive on TSN 1050 earlier this week, and he was discussing the Joe Thornton playing on the top line. And the interesting thing for me was that he suggested that before Thornton even signed in Toronto, this was a discussion that the team was having with Joe. Uh, whether he would be comfortable slotting in on the top line with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews playing on the left side. A couple of things that Keith said were he still has an elite brain in the way that he thinks the game and he still has elite playmaking skills. Those things aren't going to lose him or leave him rather. They're still going to be consistent. He's going to be able to bring those. He also suggested that because Matthews and Marner are both are more defensively responsible forwards or they're going to be expected to be moving into the season and they're a little bit more Have quick on the back check that the, yeah, well, that will help, obviously, because Joe isn't going to be necessarily, you know, first man back or anything like that. And also, they're going to limit his minutes playing on that top line. They're going to slot him in probably on offensive zone draws and situations that make sense for Joe to be slotting in. And then at times, they'll mix it up, whether it's bringing Hyman back up to play him for a couple shifts on that line or whether it's bumping up, you know, Wayne Simmons or whoever it is. They're going to be shuffling the deck. Also, the interesting thing that he said about this was the reasoning, one of the big reasons that he wanted to put Thornton on that line was because he wants to give Kerfa, Mikheyev, and Zach Hyman a real shot at being a consistent third line, a checking yes. line for this team, an opportunity that they haven't had the chance to do. He said he was talking about that their tenacity, their ability to get on pucks, and they haven't really had an opportunity to do that because of their depth at the wing position getting Joe Thornton to come in here and slot in on the first round line wing is going to give that third line a good opportunity to establish themselves, something that Sheldon Keefe would really like to see 
I think will help this team in a defensive checking sort of mindset moving into this season if they can have that established shutdown group. Right, and the greatest luxury for this hockey team is their depth. I mean, there's a handful of guys who can play up and down the lineup right now. Jimmy VC, newly acquired forward, is playing with William Nylander and John Tavares. And, you know, Jimmy VC, I think, is really going to surprise a lot of people. He, he's going to have a, a, a pretty substantial year production-wise. And I kind of like how Zach Hyman is, is being shifted down to the third line. They need to really find a fixed, consistent third line because – you know, the top six is going to be lethal, as we know. But I think that's a great trio in Mikheyev, Kerfoot, and Hyman. Now, right now, Kerfoot is listed as day-to-day with an undisclosed injury. Him centering that line between Hyman and Mikheyev could be a really, really sneaky third line for the Leafs this year. One player that we've often highlighted, too, in this podcast, and now we're getting a little bit of a clearer picture, where he stands with the Maple Leafs right now is Travis Dermott. And it's looking like right now the D pairings are going to pan out like pretty much how we thought. It's going to they're going to keep Riley and Brody. That one was obvious. It looks like Justin Hall is still going to slot in with Jake Muzzin, and that pairing looked very good as long as Muzzin was on the ice. Hall seemed to elevate his play. The third pairing right now is looking like it's going to be Lettinen with Bogosian, which is interesting because that means that Rasmus Sandin and Travis Dermott are now on the fourth pairing and likely the healthy scratch pairing for the Toronto Maple Leafs it's also interesting because when you look at that third pairing for the Maple Leafs Bogosian obviously a good skater but mostly known for his grit his determination and a little bit more of a stay-at-home defenseman role where Lettinen has been touted for his offensive ability his skating his his, uh, skills handling the puck and being able to influence the offensive side of the game so that's more of a traditional pairing where you have the stay-at-home guy the offensive guy and Bogosian seems to be excited about the opportunity. What do you make of A, Bogosian and Lettinen being on the third pairing, and B, your boy Travis Dermott, who we're expecting to have a big season coming into a contract year, being on the healthy scratch list at the moment? Well, I think that's Keith basically injecting a little bit of competitiveness in, in his depth. I mean, Riley, Brody, Muzzin, those are all locks, but really, Kenny, Lettinen, Sandine, Dermott, I think that's going to be like a rotating door cycle through each each week because Sandine and Dermott have had great glimpses of, of success on the Leafs, but here's Lettinen who hasn't played a full season with the Leafs. He's the KHL's defenseman of the year. I think he's saying, Hey, Rasmus and Travis, like right now, Miko is going to have your spot. Prove it to me that you were in that spot and Lettinen will be in the press box instead of you. He hasn't had the experience in the NHL. So this is this is a, a good test for him and for, for Keith to kind of see how his transition is from the KHL to the NHL, but also is going to provide a big boost for Dermott to to still kind of be in that prove-it year and show that he can be a good staple third-pairing defenseman. And then Sandine, of course, too. I mean, that they like looking at the prospects in, in the World Juniors that the Leafs own, I mean – it's been magical work from Dubis and the Leafs organization. And hopefully the transition is smooth for guys like Lettinen and Sandine, who had excellent world junior campaigns. It's going to be a, a battle. Well, I do believe that Sandine burned the first year of his ELC last year. So he's into year two of that right now. I also wouldn't be necessarily worried if I was Travis Dermott based off the fact that there's going to be injuries. There's going to be shuffling the deck. Everybody's going to have an opportunity. 
likely a lot, oftentimes, especially on the back end, these sorts of having depth actually ends up playing in your favor because you end up, you know, having on injuries, have guys in and out of the lineup, you know, on a night to night basis. So actually having that depth, likely Dermot is going to have an opportunity to slot into the lineup fairly early to talk about your point on Kyle Dubis. I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the defenseman of the tournament in the world juniors last year was Rasmus Sandin. The defenseman of the tournament this year was another Maple Leafs draft pick, Topi Niemela, for the Finns, who I thought there had we an go. outstanding tournament. And we talked about on the last pod how, he, by our money, he was the best defenseman in the tournament. And obviously the IHF agrees with us, giving him the award. So some really nice drafting by the Maple Leafs scouting department and Kyle Dubas. And I'm happy to see that Sheldon Keefe is actually instituting some changes that ultimately he would have had difficulty instituting last year coming in and taking over the group midway through the season. He was talking about this on Monday as well, saying that when you're coming into a group that has low energy and who is struggling to find a way to win and is just lacking confidence, it makes it a more difficult job for the coaching staff. Whereas this year he's coming off of a team into a team that's coming off a playoff disappointment who doesn't want to be disappointed again. And he can start to do things the way that he wants to from day one. And the players are buying in because they don't want to be in the same boat as they were after game five against Columbus last year. Right. And of course, last year he was kind of just, it was a relay really with Babcock and he had to kind of think on the fly, adjust on the fly. And as you said, this is his full season, his system, his style. And clearly the players have a much better time relating to this guy. All right, let's go to the tweet of the day. Mine's sticking with the Maple Leafs, so pretty easy transition for me. Uh, it's from Luke Fox, and it was actually about Jake Muzzin, a Jake Muzzin quote that I didn't hear the actual interview, but I thought that makes a lot of sense for what we're talking about, where the team is at. And Muzzin said, it's time to take to make a big step with this club, and it's time to push for a championship. And I basically think that's exactly where this team is at. We've talked about the regular season success and how that doesn't matter anymore. It's all about postseason success and the expectation in the city from the fans is that they're going to be competing for a championship. So you'd like to hear this out of the players, but also they have to show it on the ice that they're ready to take it to that next level, dominate during the regular season and head into the playoffs hot on a good trajectory. And hopefully they, they can at least at the very least make it into the conference semifinals this year, or for starters, just win around against one of their Canadian division opponents. Right, and good for Jake Muzzin, a big leader on this hockey team, to, to come out and say that. A guy who's been a part of a winning culture in LA and deep playoff runs. So a great quote and, and certainly is going to resonate well with Leafs Nation. I'm going to go with the Cam Atkinson tweet. It was towards the end of the game last night. And he said, who's watching this USA versus Canada game at Max Domi? <laughs> Little jab there to his Canadian buddy now teammate on the jackets and now Nick Bellino, uh responded, go to bed cam. They didn't even pick us for that damn team. <laughs> Atkinson <laughs> and Felino so definitely not part of the uh, world juniors USA team back in the day. Max Domi was remember with in 2015 with Connor McDavid, probably the most loaded Canada junior team ever. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Just I thought it was supposed, that was supposed to be this year. <laughs> the most loaded junior team ever. Could have been There's one in like the early two thousands that had like Tavares and, Stamkos and yeah, whoever else. I got. I'd have to look at the roster, but it's like absolutely unreal. All right, let's go to around the league.
All right, around the league where we take a look around the NHL and take a quick hit on the different storylines trending around the league. Uh, sponsored divisions this year in the NHL. This was causing quite a stir on Twitter. I believe the North Division is going to be the Scotiabank Division. Honda sponsoring one. I think Discover is sponsoring another. What do you make of the NHL sponsoring the divisions for the 2021 season? Scotia NHL, North Division. What's the other one? Honda NHL, West Division. We got the Discover Central Division and the Mass Mutual East Division. So obviously, you know, the league lost a, a ton of revenue and this is a way to kind of get back to even par. And I don't care what they name the divisions as long as they play. Yeah. Because everybody that's getting pissed off about this, I'm just like, man, shut up. Like, these divisions aren't sacred ground. Like, the North Division is not, like, a division that's just like, oh, you can't change it. It's been that way forever. It's like, these are extraordinary circumstances, and the league is trying to stay above water any way that they can and yeah, play yeah. for the fans. So if that means that they have to put an advertisement on their helmets, or if that means they have to call the North Division the Scotiabank Division, so be it. It's like this is not necessarily going to be forever, and uh, even if it works and then they end up you know, moving forward and doing that, it's just the way of the future. It doesn't bother me at all because I'd much rather see NHL hockey than the alternative, which is no hockey, which if the fans want that rather than calling the division Scotiabank Arena, Scotiabank yeah. North Division, right? then <laughs> by all means, like pitch that. But I don't think anybody wants them not to play rather than just looking for creative ways to – basically just keep the light league afloat the rangers announcing that they are not going to make vladimir shesterkin their unanimous number one goalie what do you make of the news out of new york that's the number one job still up for grabs i was a little shocked but i mean similar to the leafs the rangers possess a 1a 1b tandem i mean georgiev has been excellent but shesterkin too had a had a really solid year i believe he had 10 wins or so he had a really solid stat line kenny let me just get it up here. Yeah, 10, 10 wins, two losses, 0.932 save percentage, and a 2.52 goals against average. So this is going to be probably a, a, a swapping back and forth for the Rangers, but it's uh, it's a competitive group uh, in the Big Apple. And obviously they landed the, the number one overall pick in Lafreniere. You got Panarin, I mean, a, a really solid young decor. They're they're pretty pretty lucky to have two solid international talents in between the pipes. Well, Georgiev has been chomping at the bit for a little while. Shesterkin kind of came gangbusters onto the scene. I believe last year he was also in a car accident that ended up interrupting his season as he went to go on the injury reserve for a little while after uh, to heal up after that Manhattan crunch time on the way to the game. But yeah, this is more for me just about the depth at the position. Georgiev has looked very impressive, obviously a much bigger sample size at the NHL level. Jesterkin has had the far better numbers and more success, higher winning percentage, I believe, at his all levels in his career. He has something absurd, like an 800 winning percentage at every level when you look at his pro career, if you average it. So he seems like the real deal, probably the franchise goalie of the future, but a good problem for the Rangers to have, having two goalies who are up to the task rather than having to rely on one. And ultimately, this is why Hank got chased out of town. Uh, Meanwhile, in Carolina, Dougie Hamilton entering a contract year says he wants to stay with the Hurricanes. Hamilton coming off basically his most productive season. He had 40 points in 47 games. He's really looked at home since he came to Carolina, and he's been a little bit of a suitcase after being drafted in the top 10 
of the NHL draft by the Boston Bruins. I believe he played three years in Boston before getting shipped out to Calgary, where he played three years, and then he, this will be his third year in Carolina. So not often that you see a defenseman picked in the top 10 have three different homes in that stretch of time, but he seems to be happy in Carolina. And if you're the Canes, you got to try to get this guy signed. No, he was in the Norris Trophy conversation last year and seems to be playing his best hockey of his career. I think he would be happier in his real home, Toronto. Wasn't he born in Toronto or Tobacco? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just garnering all the hometown Dougie boys. Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton was born. Yeah, you, 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 and every other, you and every other Leaf fan. Dougie, well, I mean, for, for yeah, years, yeah, there you're was right, talk you're right, about though. it. He was, you're right, though. He is from Toronto. And remember, too, he was I part feel like of that before... deal. He, like, we, we originally had his draft rights, did we not? And then we traded him away. Oh, I want to. I want to clarify. I want to clarify. So don't 09. tell me that it's like the Phil Kessel trade. Yes, oh nine when they, when they when they acquired Kessel, they gave up the draft picks that ended up being Tyler Sagan and Dougie Hamilton. So yeah, there you go. Goodness, uh, I'm be good uh, not hearing about that trade ever again. Uh, Jason Bodorov, the former Buffalo Sabers GM. Hired us the Kraken assistant a bagel, GM. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I told you not to throw to me while I was eating the bagel, and I put a piece. I didn't throw to you. Bagel. I was just clarifying. Oh yeah, you were just clarifying. I was trying to just enjoy my breakfast here, and you're Threw just, everything like, bagel with way. cream cheese, probably. No, I, I'm not that fancy. Plain bagel with butter. So boring. What was that place stay, on Victoria near Mercado? Um, that was a good breakfast spot. It was always like a oh. nice female and egg Sammy or something. Yeah, I forget. It was like I forget the name of the place. It's definitely probably it was closed a hidden now, gem. But... Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, I hope it's not closed. Well, I guess maybe. Well, it changed ownership like before when I was still working at Mercado down there. So I'm certainly certainly it's uh, the one that we we remember when you were there is yeah. uh, is long gone. And then they raised the prices, so it wasn't as good. Mm. You know, I like a good deal, but if you're gonna try to charge me five bucks for a bacon, egg, and cheese, hit the ah, road. I'll go to Timmy's. That's a that's above my price point. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, Jason Botterall hired as the Kraken assistant GM. Uh, Botterall, as mentioned before, um, was the former GM of the Buffalo Sabres for the last three years. Obviously didn't have very much success, so he got gassed, but looking forward to an opportunity with the new expansion franchise. What do you make of Ron Francis hiring Botterall to help his team? I think this is a great move. And, you know, I was I was looking back to when the Vegas Golden Knights hired George McPhee as GM in their inaugural season. And you guys know the rest. They went all the way to the cup against the Caps. Unbelievable year for them. But they plucked out McPhee from the Islanders. And, you know, clearly it wasn't working out there. And similar to, to Jason Botterill's tenure in Buffalo, Kenny, where he just couldn't get anything going. And obviously the team is, is still still really in shambles. And I think this is going to be a fresh start. May not be exactly the same as it was for George McPhee's success instantly in Vegas, but Jason Botterill is, is a is a really really solid GM, and he really had a tough time in Buffalo. And this is going to be a great start, and no expectations early on. And if there is success, you look like a genius. So, great move by Ron Francis. Botterill, like people forget as well, ten years working with the Pittsburgh Penguins under Jimmy Rutherford. And was there for their three cup runs. So he's obviously very experienced. He didn't get the job done in Buffalo, but that's not really saying much. I, and to be honest, sometimes Hard. I judge franchises 
that gas a GM after three years, because generally you need probably about five or six years to completely instill everything that you need to instill in the organization. And Buffalo has just been a complete dumpster fire for so long that to change the culture there, they're going to need to do it from the top down. I feel like the ownership is rotten. And when you start there, then it's just an uphill battle for anybody that goes in. So feel for Botterall getting gas there, but a very good opportunity. Like you said, fresh start going into work with the Seattle Kraken and primarily what he's going to have to be worried about is scouting players and figuring out which players are going to be targets for Ron Francis and the Seattle Kraken in the upcoming expansion draft. So that will be the large part of his role. And certainly with his experience in the league, he should be up to the task of organizing a team that can get the best reports for the Kraken. So they can be hopefully successful right out of the gate. Maybe not as successful as Vegas, because as you noted, a cup final in your first year is unprecedented and ultimately makes, you know, the job for Ron Francis to live up to George McPhee nearly impossible but he's obviously establishing a team of well-respected nhl veterans who have been around the league for a long time so kudos to the kraken for another good hire unprecedented probably the most overused word of 2020 yeah exactly (laughs) oh yeah that's good (laughs) oliver bjorkstrand signs a five-year 27 million dollar contract extension with the columbus blue jackets big payday for bjorkstrand Huge, man. I, I forgot he led the Jackets in scoring last year with 21. He kind of flew under the radar. We're kind of, you know, used to just seeing Atkinson and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois and Gustav Nyquist take over. But, you know, Bjorkstrand's still an unbelievable player. I believe he's he's from Denmark. Not a lot of uh, hockey products coming out of, of Denmark, but there's one in Oliver Bjorkstrand. So, uh, great bang for their buck. And, man, he's. I think he's going to have another another outstanding year for Columbus. My initial reaction was that I was surprised that they're signing Bjorkstrand when they're still trying to figure out the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation in Columbus. But Friedman had a tweet earlier this week that actually insinuated the holdup in the negotiations is not with the price point for Pierre-Luc Dubois. The problem is that he wants a bigger stage. He doesn't want to play necessarily in Columbus anymore. He wants to take his talents to a bigger market and be recognized league-wide for his talent. Obviously, we got a first-hand look at PLD when he was playing Toronto in the play-in round, and he was a real pain in the ass, but he could certainly be considered one of the better players, one of the better two-way players in the NHL in a bigger market. And this is going to be a real handful for Yarmo Kekalainen to try to get this guy signed, because that's the struggle when you're in a smaller market, is that oftentimes your star players don't want to stick around. And especially with a flat salary cap, it's going to make it even more difficult for him to find suitors for this player. And it's understandable why he, he wants out. I mean, this guy's been really flying under the radar the last couple of years, and it began at the 2016 draft. I mean, one was Matthews, two was Line, and third was Pierre-Luc Dubois. Kind of looked off, doesn't go to a huge, huge hockey market, and he wants he wants a bigger a bigger stage to play on, and he wants to be, you know, making an impact on a on a really deep contending team. And Columbus is a wear and tear uh, headache team to play in the first round. And they're a tough team, well coached. I'm sure in Dubois' case, he wants to go to a bigger hockey market to really, really shine. I would love to have Pierre-Luc Dubois on my team over Patrick Laine, to be honest. Like Laine, obviously an elite sniper, but this guy, like just watching him from afar, he just seems like one of those glue guys in the locker room. 
Like he'll go into the dirty areas. He'll throw the hit. He could score a goal. You know, he's got pretty good playmaking ability. He can kill a penalty if need be. He's just a heart and soul guy on your team. And those guys are few and far between in this league. His the way his ability to play the two way game is going to be instrumental on any team that he plays with in the future. Like he was matching up on a night to night basis, basically with Austin Matthews and did a really good job when he was on the ice of containing him. So that shows you his pedigree on the defensive end of the puck. I don't blame him at all for wanting to go to a big market and he's going to get much more notoriety as he continues to develop both the offensive and defensive styles of his game. Like this guy reminds me a lot of like almost like a similar player to like a Sean Couturier. I see that. And you know what? Very similar, maybe not similar playing style to Matthews, but you know, the, the one thing that's scary is he's got good, skillful hands. He's good around the net. Obviously he had that unbelievable breakaway goal in the playing series against Toronto, but he can also, as you said, Kenny, is he can throw the body around. You imagine if Matthews was throwing the body around more, like it would, it would just really round out his game that much, that much better. And like du- Dubois is, is a feisty guy, but just such a talented player as well. And oh my God, it would it would be unfair if Matthews was is more prone to, to throwing around his body a little bit more because he would just be the most complete complete player. Something maybe he 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 would he kind of should adopt from Dubois' game. Yeah, and you know when you look at players of his similar size, like Ryan Getzlaff comes to mind. As being yeah. a similar height, Rick Nash. similar frame to Austin Matthews. And yeah, those big power forwards. And I think that for big cactus, as we like to call him, if he can develop and use his size and his physicality as a part of his game, then it's just going to make him all the more lethal of a player. And we've seen him in the board battles before. There's that clip floating around where he's in the board battle with Shea Weber. And it's just like they're tied up. They're pushing back and forth. And basically like Weber checks Matthews into the boards and Matthews just lays him out. It's like that shows the strength that Austin Matthews has. You expect him to continue to develop that as he gets into his mid to late 20s. Yeah, because he's because got a big frame, that's basically when you're man. hitting your prime. He's still so yeah, young. He is. No, no doubt. It's, uh, man, yeah, so you forget how really the, the width on, on Matthews, which is why I want to see more of that physicality in his game, man, because he's a big dude. Reminds me uh, kind of like Frederick Gautier. How he was always just had the big frame, but he never threw the body around really. And then every once in a while, you throw a hit, and everybody would celebrate. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like you should be doing that every shift. Yeah, exactly. If you're the goat, you know. Yeah, some people don't realize how big. He's just and, like he's just like a dinosaur are. out there. Yeah, and no, just hands. like a dinosaur out there skating around in circles. What you got for the rest of the day, buddy? I'm just gonna bask in the glory of having a desk. Honestly, that's 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 kind of like, oh, you got the that's the day off, eh? That's the day off. I'll just set up the desk. I, I believe it's no assembly too, which is huge. My desk came in about 14, 15 pieces in a box, and I couldn't even figure out how they squeezed all the pieces in there. But then when we put it together, slogged right in the corner, pretty nice. Yeah, you got to have a pint when you're putting something together of that magnitude. It's like, okay, where do we start? You got to get the big instruction sheet out. There's there's panic at one point, and then you get to the end, and you just feel like a million bucks. Yeah, until it's you like, realize I built that you this. put the one piece on backwards. They got to go ten steps backwards uh, to yeah. to get the proper screw or whatever. That that's yeah. the disaster. Yeah, I'm doing the Raptors game tonight, so hopefully they can pull out a win. They're on a little bit of a slide right now, one in five on the season, I believe. So 
and they got to take on uh, they got to take on Tampa Raptors. That's right, and they got to take on D Book and Chris Paul and Phoenix. Another late game. They, they they don't look like the same team, and you know I think a lot has to be made of the fact that they had to up and uproot and go play in Tampa Bay, uproot their families. You know they're not playing at home. They don't have the you know they're trying to get their kids in school down in Tampa, enrolled in school. There's so much that you have to worry about off the court when you have to uproot cities. And also, they just lost a lot of big-name players in the free free agency looking to take the shot at Giannis in the next yeah. season. And then Giannis obviously signs the Supermax in Milwaukee. You know, if they know that Giannis is signing, do they let Serge Ibaka walk? Probably not. They probably keep him around. And then you have, at least have a little bit more offensive pedigree at the center position. It's not looking good. Siakam doesn't look good. Like... I'm fingers crossed for this team because they need to figure something out. Thanks for listening to Leafspawn. We'll catch you next time.